Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I think our version of success and career success is very myopic. We're not looking at it holistically. And I did this in my 20s too until, well, we haven't finished the story, until I crashed and burned. I made my career advancement more important than my own psychological advancement, my own relationship with myself. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I am an advocate for for people in their 20s and early 30s is you think that this is the time where you're supposed to just be focusing on your career. No. Goodwin, CEO of Career Contessa and the host of The Females. Today's guest is Christine Hassler, an author, speaker, and life coach who is committed to guiding people and organizations to reach their highest potential. Christine knows a thing or two about being an extreme overachiever. At age 25, Christine had a successful career as a Hollywood agent, was engaged to the love of her life, and was literally hanging out with the likes of George Clooney at parties. It was a pretty glamorous setup, but there was one huge thing missing, fulfillment and love for herself. Christine's pursuit for the image of success left her chasing busyness, being hard on herself, and just plain burnout. Cue the massive meltdown that forever changed Christine's life and career, which she'll cover in detail on the episode. Fast forward many years and Christine's life looks very different now. As a life coach and author, she helps people overcome their expectation hangover, learn how to silence the inner critics, and manage their relationship with their authentic selves. This is about the really tough inside work that leads to big shifts. Today's episode will cover how to slow down so you can get what you need to be more successful in your career and life, the importance of internal tools and why it's okay to not know what you're doing or what you want, the 40-day behavior-changing plan you can put into action immediately, and what it takes to break through to the other side of a meltdown. Let's dive in. All right, Christine, I want to take us all back to the beginning. Where did you grow up and what was your upbringing like? I grew up mostly in Dallas, Texas. We moved there from Wisconsin when I was about two years old. It was a big move for my parents because their whole family were in Wisconsin. I loved Dallas, though. I liked being a Texan. I really loved it. I had a sister. She was born when I was about three and a half. And that was it. Just two kids, parents. Parents are still married. Um, I have a lot of really fond memories of childhood, playing outside. In Texas, you're in the pool most of the time in the summer. And being really creative. And I remember I was obsessed with this book series called The Boxcar Children. They were these kids that lived out of a boxcar. And so my friends and I would flip our bikes over and try to cook grass by spinning our bike wheels really fast. And just I just remember a lot of playing, a lot of imagination. And like any kid, there were challenging times too. Um, several things that were more difficult for me, bullying, feeling left out, putting a lot of pressure on myself as a kid. I was I was a bit of a stressed out kid. My nickname growing up, well, one of them. I had, I had nicer nicknames too, but one of them was Worry Ward. Really? Oh, yes. I would worry a lot. I would worry a lot. My parents would go out, like we wouldn't have a babysitter. I was so afraid that something was going to happen to my parents, that they, they'd go out on a date night and they'd have to call once an hour or so wow. be- just to reassure me that everything was okay. 
so I, I, I was super creative and imaginative, um, but also had a bit of a monkey mind, a bit of a, a worrisome mind. And that's something that I've had to learn to manage as I've gotten older. Um, but I look back to my childhood and I think, I, you know, everybody, I won't say everybody, most people, we can look back at our childhood and go, okay, well, this is bad and this is good. But I really look at everything that happened to me in my childhood as good because it's all made me who I am today. Yeah, that's, I mean, you can't change your childhood either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's probably the best outlook. You can't, but you can change how you relate to it. My Absolutely. favorite definition of a miracle is a change in perception. Absolutely. And I'm kind of curious. I, I, I know you were a Hollywood agent. And mm-hmm. <laughs> so before we get into that story, I'm just kind of curious. How do you go from, you know, a very wholesome Dallas, Texas upbringing, although you were worrywart, mm-hmm. to wanting to go into an extremely stressful, high-anxiety career? Being diagnosed as depressed and being teased and feeling separate and like I didn't belong – that made me really, really hard on myself and really insecure. And it made me form a lot of beliefs like I'm not enough, I'm broken in some way. And this is basic basic psychology. Whenever we feel scared or not enough or like we're broken, whenever we feel less than or wrong or not enough in any way, our ego, which is our modern day survival strategy because none of us really are worried about physical survival anymore in terms of being able to get our food and having a roof overhead and those kinds of things. Yeah, we have Whole Foods. Yeah, exactly. Well, And Air One, which I was just at before this, <laughs> which is my favorite place in the world. So whenever we, we feel less than in any way, we have to find some way to compensate. And my particular way was to become an extreme overachiever. So to make up for where I felt like I was unworthy, I, I put tons of pressure on myself to achieve and to be successful. So there was that. There was a high overachiever. And then because my parents really saw me struggling at school and they saw their more outgoing, animated little girl start to shut down, they got me into acting classes. Not at my school, at a place called the Young Actors Studio in Dallas. And no one from my school went there. And it was a place for me to express myself. It was TV acting. And when the camera went on, it was like, oh, because I could be somebody else. Right. And it was great therapy for me. It was great escape for me. I think it, it, I honestly think it saved me in so many ways. So I fell in love with the entertainment industry. And between my junior and senior year of high school, I was scouted to move out to LA. Wow. I lived in the Oakwood apartments. Oh. Yeah. With other like super young up and coming yeah, celebrities anyone, at the time. Anyone? Leonardo DiCaprio. Stop. Yeah. You might know of him. Yeah. I still, and Terrence Howard, they were both there. Oh my goodness. They were, yeah, Terrence, oh, he was older than me. But anyway, I still to this day kick myself for not staying in better time. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, I could have been married to Leonardo. remember me from like, when we were 12? Right. Because I know, I know he's listening right now. <laughs> Call me. So anyway, I got, I was scouted. I was in, you know, Hollywood. And what I learned in that experience, especially being an actor, is wow, it's a lot of rejection like daily, sometimes multiple times a day rejection. And since that was my core pain point as a kid, I was I was always rejected by the boys that I liked that didn't like me back. I was rejected by social circles, girlfriends, all that kind of stuff. And I just could didn't feel like I had that in me. But since I was an overachiever and I was at the top of my class, I was like, all right, I still love Hollywood, but I'm going to be behind the camera. And so that's when I made the decision to go to Northwestern, study TV and film, and then come back to Los Angeles and try to be like a producer. I didn't know what it was going to be. So that's what motivated me to go to Hollywood is this love of it. And also, I think that a lot of people that deal with insecurity and feel like we have something to prove, Hollywood's a good place. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, I, I ended up, I started at William Morris. Now it's William Morris Endeavor. And then I was in, I worked at production in production for a while. Then I worked at Paramount for a bit. And then I came back to a place that was called Artist Management Group at the time, which was run by this big mogul, Michael Ovitz. And it was management, but it was agency as well. And I, I went through different parts of that, but I ended up a TV literary manager slash agent. And I remember, um, you know, my office was in Beverly Hills. I had an assistant who was a year younger than me had my office that was probably about this size with my beautiful view. And at the time, I was dating the head of a movie studio. So I had access to everything and everyone between my job and his life. And I was Oscars, Golden Globes, private jets, celebrities, the whole thing. 
and and making a lot of money for a 24, 25 year old too mm-hmm. much, I think. And not that I was irresponsible for it, but with it, but still it was Were you kind happy? of unreal. No, that's the point I'm getting to. Okay. <laughs> is I had all of these things and I still wasn't happy. And it took me achieving so much. Like I was I was telling the story on stage a few hours ago as keynoting a women's conference and I, I spent one New Year's and I was with George Clooney. I was sitting next to George Clooney. It was a small group and having a conversation with him and also had the awareness. I am with George Clooney and I'm still not happy. Something is wrong with me. And that's when it started to, when I started to kind of think, wow, it doesn't, no matter what I achieve, it's never enough. It's never enough. I'd check something off a list and I'd celebrate for maybe five nanoseconds and then it was what am I going to do next and to achieve my level of success it wasn't like I was achieving it with this massive sense of inspiration and purpose I was incredibly hard on myself that's how I got things done that's how I got promoted so quickly that's how I was so successful I was just ruthless with myself and I push myself and I drive and drive and drive and go and it was it was accepted. I think we still do in a lot of ways think busyness and working hard is a badge of honor oh a hundred percent and 100%. it's like it's it's a guarantee for burnout and I also feel and now that I you know coach people people are afraid not to be hard on themselves because they're afraid they won't do anything they're afraid they'll lose the motivation I have that mm. exact problem I I think the only way to keep me motivated is to knock myself down a couple times and 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 part of that is I'm a high achiever I I have really high expectations and I am by no means alone obviously you had this and I have a ton of friends and readers of Career Contessa reach out and let us mm-hmm. know this and it also is heartbreaking to know yeah. that we there's that, that that's happening yeah well and it's I think it's even harder not to be hard on ourselves one because we think that's what motivates us and two because of social media we have not only it has not helped it's made it a lot worse because at least 15 years ago it was just our own head that we had to deal with and our own inner critic but now we have a 24 7 constant opportunity to look on any one of our 10 apps and scroll through something and compare um i actually can cure comparison if, or I can give, I can, we can bookmark that and come back or I can tell you now. I'm going to write that down. Okay. All right. She's going to write down. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll come back to it. Um, but that, that being hard on ourselves, I, you know, that's one of the biggest things I've had to overcome in my life. When I'm asked what's been your biggest struggle, I've had lots of circum, I've had lots of hard times in my life, but what's made those hard times so much harder is how I was with myself during those hard times. Absolutely. Because there's what happens to us in our life and then there's what we make it mean about ourselves, about the world, about our luck in life and how we relate to it. I um, have my master's degree in spiritual psychology from the University of Santa Monica and one of my favorite things that they taught us there is how you relate to any issue is the issue. It's not really what's happening. It's how you relate to it. And how we relate to ourselves and our relationship with ourselves I think impacts our life more than anything else I would 100% agree with that and even though I agree with that I still have trouble doing that yeah so you can be like absolutely that they're they're right the research says it's right and yet people still don't do it hey there I want to take a quick break to tell you about something new and exciting I've been using the holidays are coming up and that means travel end of the year meetings and just overall craziness And one thing I'm really trying to avoid is bad skin during all this activity, which is why I was thrilled to find Folane, a clean beauty retailer with a curated selection of the highest performing, safest, and 100% non-toxic product. To help me pick the right products, I took their free skin quiz and then purchased a fan favorite, the Clean Essentials Kit. The kit includes travel sizes of four everyday, non-toxic, vegan, and cruelty-free skin essentials, such as a cleanser, toner, moisturizer, and soap. And it all comes in a chic, limited-edition travel pouch that looks good enough to use year-round. 
My skin has been really dry with the change in weather, and the moisturizer in the kit is not only strong enough to help that, but it's also been really lightweight, so I don't have to worry about looking like I'm wearing a pound of moisturizer on my face. And don't worry, the products are TSA approved too, so you can make sure that you avoid skin breakouts during holiday travel without weighing down your suitcase. Today's promo for only $22, that's over 50% off, try the Clean Essentials Kit today. Go to Folane, F-O-L-L-A-I-N.com backslash females to try the kit and enter females as the promo code at checkout for free shipping. Again, for $22, that's over 50% off, you can try the Clean Essentials Kit today. Go to Folane, F-O-L-L-A-I-N.com backslash females to try the kit and enter females at checkout for free shipping. Okay, now let's get back to the show. And I think the reason that most of us don't do it is because, well, one, when the inner critic silences enough and gets quiet and we're not constantly in motion, then emotions and memories and things we've suppressed for years, decades, start to come up. And most of us don't like to feel. We like to feel good, but we don't like to feel anything that we, we don't know what to do with. And it's still, and one of my long-term career goals is to somehow shift the educational system and teach very young how to deal with emotions because I learning algebra really like has not helped me in my life <laughs> however if if someone had taught me what my first first coach at 23 taught me about how to release emotions rather than recycle them and what emotions are and how to relate to them I wouldn't have been depressed right you know so that's that's I think one of the reasons that we are and the other one is that we we don't it's 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 really hard to quote unquote get rid of something if we don't have something else built up to take over so the biggest reason that it's hard to stop being hard on ourselves is we have this loud voice of the inner critic and a very muted or quiet voice of an inner coach so a big part of shifting from not being so hard on ourselves is to start to really affirm and think more kind thoughts to ourselves but the the feeling that we need most of all if we want to shift the inner critic is one of compassion yeah of, of really being compassionate with ourselves we are way kinder to others I was just gonna say than that. ourselves yeah yeah it's you know you can you would never say the things that you say to yourself to somebody else never never <laughs> Never. And and think about this for you and everybody listening. If you talk to your friends like you talk to yourself, like you treat yourself, would you have any? Absolutely not. Right. <laughs> they would ditch me. Exactly. <laughs> so quick. Exactly. Right. And I'm sure all of your friends would want you to treat yourself the way that. Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, it, it's just, it's one of those things that even sometimes in the moment when you're doing it, you're like, this isn't really helping, but there is a piece of it, and maybe this is bad to admit, that is a little self-soothing. Mm. Like I recognize sometimes my pattern is to kind of be really mean and attack and or yourself, yeah, mm-hmm. kind of myself and like be really hard on myself mm-hmm. essentially. And then there's sort of like because I know that's so low, and you're mm-hmm. kind of taking yourself down, that there will be like a high moment after right. that. So it's almost like I'm creating the low, so then it can naturally go yeah. high. If that, it does. Sense. It's the same reason people get sick. Because mm-hmm. they finally slow down. Oh, yeah. Or they finally ask for help. Yeah. You know, I was coaching somebody on my podcast, um, I think it was a couple weeks ago, and it was on um, suicidal thoughts. And she had attempted suicide before and took pills and got, to, you know, and realized what she was doing and called and asked for help. And part of the realization in the coaching was like it, it took almost killing herself to ask for help really what she wanted more than killing herself was help right but it's it's remarkable to me how low sometimes we need to go how much we torture ourselves to get what we really need so the the shortcut to not have to torture ourselves is to be really aware of what we need mm-hmm. and give ourselves that and ask for that on a regular basis it, it's re- so when i hear that too i think okay at career contessa we teach women how to ask for the things that they need to build a successful career. And a lot of those tools, sometimes they are tools around how to actually apply for a job, right? You got to have mm-hmm. a resume. You got to have a great LinkedIn. Sometimes it's how to ask for a raise and you need the template. 
But a lot of the tools end up being internal tools. One thousand percent. Yep. It I, you know, have worked with a lot of successful people and a lot of my private clients are CEOs in their forties or early fifties who are burned out. Mm-hmm. They have the money, they have the title, they have success, they might even have the marriage and the kids, but they don't know who they are. Their stress level is huge. By then they might have manifested some kind of autoimmune something or the, you know, there's usually some kind of physical thing. They feel disconnected from any kind of spirituality because I think our version of success and career success is very myopic. We're not looking at it holistically. Right. You know, that, that keynote I was just talking about is a leadership keynote and my whole keynote was about leadership from the inside out like really learning self-care self-talk like it's an inside job and I and I did this in my 20s too until well we haven't finished the story until I crashed and burned I made my career advancement more important than my own psychological advancement my own relationship with myself and I think that's one of the biggest things that I am an advocate for for people in their 20s and early 30s is you think that this is the time where you're supposed to just be focusing on your career. No. Right, right. (laughs) This is truly the time to, yes, I mean, focus on the career. I'll get to that in a second. But to look at the puzzle pieces of your life, to start getting into personal development, to learn about the mind-body connection, to learn about the power of the mind, to learn about how the universe works and to learn all these tools. Because like for me, the career I created, being this Hollywood agent, was created from my wounds. It was created from trying to compensate for something. So oftentimes the career decisions we make or what we think we want aren't really in alignment with our truest authentic self. Right. They're coming from a broken place. They're coming from like a wounded place. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Wounded place because none of us are broken. Right. I had to to work so hard to let go of that story. (laughs) Believe me, I'm my daughter to let go of that one. So I really think it's okay to not know what you're doing, or to not feel quote-unquote successful for a while. Now, you can't just be sitting in Starbucks waiting for life purpose to hit you. Um, A lot of 20-something-year-olds, 30-somethings that have come to my retreats or things like that, that's what they're investing in. That's what they're learning about. And I've seen time and time and time again, the career stuff, the relationship stuff, it works itself out because our outer experience is a reflection of our inner reality. So I'm not saying just do personal development all day long. You know, you can, that, that can become an addiction of its own. But instead of just stressing about what do I want to do with my life? What's the career? How am I going to advance? Take some time to really understand yourself because that self-awareness is going to help you make better career choices. Absolutely. I um, Okay, well, I want to get into those tips, but I want I know your story is really good. Oh, okay. And since we are talking about meltdowns, you had an mm. epic meltdown. <laughs> Yes, and it wasn't my own. It's not been like since that's been over, I haven't had any more. So, yes, I had an epic meltdown. We're back in my Hollywood career. Yes. (laughs) And um, I just was hating it after my George Clooney epiphany. (laughs) I was just like, oh, what, what am I doing? So I thought, like most of us do, that if I change something on the outside, then the inside will change. So my decision was I will quit my job. And I will go, I was teaching spin classes at the time and I was always into health and fitness and I thought I'll just be like a personal um, trainer celebrity. I still was kind of obsessed with the celebrity thing. And so I quit, which sent me into even a worse depression. I was still on antidepressants at the time and anti-anxiety medicine by then. And I lost kind of my whole identity because my my identity was I'm, with your job totally mm-hmm. totally. So when people ask me what I did, I would say, "Well, I used to be <laughs> uh, an agent in Hollywood because I was so ashamed that I didn't have this like big career." And then um, I got diagnosed with an undiagnosable autoimmune disorder. And P.S. Autoimmune disorders are often linked to negative self talk because basically an autoimmune disorder is your body turning against itself. It's self rejection. So the more we do self-rejection and self-criticism, the body always responds. So nothing good is coming out of this. Yes, yes. Nothing. <laughs> there's no payoff. There's yeah. no payoff. <laughs> well, well, we'll talk more about how to shift that later if you want. Um, and then I was going into debt because I was trying to keep up my fancy lifestyle without my fancy paycheck or expense tank account. And then I had some challenges with my mom growing up. Um, we were super close. And then I went through kind of my process of individuation and setting boundaries and 
um, did some things that she didn't like. And so we didn't speak for a little while. And that was really hard. And then I got engaged and thought, all right, well, I'm 26 or something like that. And I'm, I'm going to get married. And I had my career. And now I'm going to be a wife and a mom. Now I think about it. I'm so glad that didn't happen at 26. Oh, my gosh. So he broke up with me six months before our wedding. Yeah. So career, <laughs> health, money, family, love, gone. Quarter life crisis. In a short amount of time. Yeah, short amount of time. Yeah. Short amount of time. Like less than a year. Less than a year. Mm-hmm. So I was on um, my bathroom floor of the apartment that said fiance used to live in with me. Like that, like he literally ended it and arranged a time when I wasn't there to move his stuff out of the apartment. Like it was, this is it so was dramatic. like brutal, right? Uh, still the best thing that ever happened to me. Not at the time. Right. It was not. Everyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> at the time. Yeah. It was not, but I wouldn't be sitting here today talking to you if Absolutely. that hadn't happened. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started to connect the dots that the common denominator and everything was me and it would have been real easy to just play the victim card and be like he's an asshole and you know my mom is this and like it's just because the food and our healthcare system that I'm that and LA is too expensive and like that job was I was being harassed anyway like I definitely could have pointed a lot of fingers and I had my moments when I did however I started to finally see that if the common denominator was me in all those circumstances, then I better start looking at myself. Um, And that's when I became obsessed with personal development work. That's what inspired my first book, 20 Something, 20 Everything, because I went to the bookstore to find a book that would help me. And there was a book on the quarter life crisis and it's a valuable book, but it was more about here's how you get your career and here's how you find out what you want to do. And I'm like, I did all that. I had the career, the love, the everything. Right. And I'm like, where's the inside stuff? And so that's... That's and I know I you had a coach, Mo- Mona. Yes, Mona. So I started seeing her when I was like 22. And this all happened like 25, 26. I kind of forget the years. Um, she was a life coach? She's Well, yeah. I mean, she was like, and I say was because she's passed away, which was really hard for me because um, she was my coach for about 14 years. Wow. Yeah. And she she was special. She wasn't like trained as a life coach or trained as a therapist. She was just one of those people that was – way more loving and enlightened than the rest of the world and she was totally kooky she was trapped in the late 80s in terms of her decor um she had tchotchkes like all over the like it was just like i'd go into her house and i'm like oh my god because i'm a virgo and i'm very like you know everything has a place and simplicity and i'd just be like oh my gosh color (laughs) overload all of these things need to get out of here i know i know every holiday like halloween it looked like halloween like exploded in her house and but it was good for me because she was so um, eccentric that it kind of threw me off my because I had been seeing psychologists and, and therapists and it was all very used to it and it's very formal and blah, 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 blah. and I think I needed to just be totally something completely different. And what was really the most different about her is when I sat down with her the first time, I felt like someone finally was not looking at me like I needed to be fixed. She really said to me, "You're not broken." There's nothing wrong with you. You're just human, having your human stuff. All of us come here with our human curriculum, and you're just learning and growing. So you're okay. And then she said, I'll be right back. And she left. And she put, P.S., put me in her son's room with race car bunk beds. I'm like, this is so unprofessional. And she was wearing sweats, no makeup. Like, you know, it was not like, and here I am, like, Miss, like, Prissy. have been going to like the very professional mm-hmm. doctors mm-hmm. with their fancy offices yeah. yeah yeah and I was super uptight at the time too so she comes back in with a huge pillow and a tennis racket and gardening gloves and she's like so I want you to put these gloves on grab this racket hit that pillow and scream and I said why and she said because you're very angry baby and I'm like I am not angry. <laughs> She's like, yeah, you're like, my are. life is great. I have nothing to be angry about. As you, you start to raise your yeah, voice. Yeah, I start to raise my voice. She's like, no, honey, you're, you're not depressed. You're suppressed. You're mm-hmm. suppressed. And I'm going to teach you how to get your emotion out. And so I didn't, I was like, I'm not doing this. And so she demonstrated and I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. And I tried and it was kind of some wimpy little hits. But over time... I learned how to express my emotion. And in working with her and doing a lot of other things, it was about a four-year journey of getting off medication. But I was able to do it and have not ever turned back. And I have no judgment against people that um, are on any kind of medication of any kind. But I knew for me, 
that I wanted to experience. I wanted to feel everything. I didn't want anything, any crutches of any kind. Yeah, you didn't want to suppress your emotions anymore. I didn't want to suppress. Anymore. I wanted to feel. I wanted to feel. And I wanted to really let go of the story that I was broken. I'm kind of curious too with you know, especially with the feeling your emotions, how do you know when it's something more than just a bad day? Like Mm -hmm. this is going to pass. I mean, is it all about just feeling the emotions or is there a way to know the difference between like this one's serious and that was just a moment? Yeah. Well, so when your level of emotion doesn't really match your circumstance. So like to me, if, um, if, I say something to somebody that really like was not that big of a deal and they have a massive reaction, that means like I've triggered them in some way. Like I've pushed an old button. I sound like their mother who was critical of them their whole life or something like that. So we know that it's more than just I had a bad day if like your level of suffering doesn't really match your current condition. Gotcha. And if it's chronic, if you just can't seem to get on the other side of it, you know, like if you just – like for me – my unhappiness no matter what I achieved I wasn't happy it wasn't like I came home and I was like well that was kind of a crap day it was even if it was an okay day I still had this feeling of well even on really good days it was like well nothing's really wrong but nothing feels terribly right either and I and for what I have I should be feeling a lot better exactly exactly it's really interesting do you so I want to go back to your story you you leave the Hollywood agent life you are writing your book. Mm-hmm. So now, and I think this is really interesting because essentially, um, I actually first heard of you when I was working at USC and a job that I hated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just bored out of my mind and someone heard about you. And I was like, well, I don't need help. I'm just, I just need a new job basically. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, um, but anyway, they, they had mentioned, and I had, that was the first time I heard life coach or mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I had heard of therapists, I had heard of, you know, all the like fancier, you know, people with the degrees and this and that, but I was like, what's a life coach? I didn't know. And I always kind of think of you as, at least in my world, one of the first online mm-hmm. life coaches also. Like, mm-hmm. so you basically leave Hollywood life and create a whole new career. Mm-hmm. Was that on purpose? I mean, were, were you Mm-mm. like, I'm just going to write this book because it's what I needed. And then you fell into life coaching, like kind of walk us through that. Yeah, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't on purpose. Um, I wrote the book because I couldn't find one. And I was learning so much from Mona and learning so much in my own like study and exploration. Um, And that first book, I researched a lot of people. I asked other 20-somethings what they were going through. So I just became an observer of everything that was going on. And the exercises and stuff that I wrote in the book were things I did for myself. And that and you saw them work. Yeah, I saw them work. And then the book came out and a lot of people, it worked for a lot of other people too. And what started happening is the people I was interviewing for the book about their 20-something experience, they started saying, can I set up an appointment with you? And I would always be taken off guard because I I, I was like, well, no, we got our, we got, I got, our, our research is complete. Like yeah, our interview is done. interviewing you. Yes. And time and time again, I'd hear, well, aren't you a counselor? Aren't you a coach? And I was also a personal trainer at the time. And my clients were way more interested in talking to me than they were working out. And so I started to realize maybe I had a little bit of a gift for this, a little bit of a knack for this. And I went to Mona and told her. And she's like, yep, you do. That's your gift. And I, I remember being mad at her because I've been going to her for years trying to figure out my purpose and what I was supposed to do and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, why didn't you tell me this earlier? And she goes, because it was for you to discover. Like you had to find it. I couldn't tell you. And I think that's an important piece of advice to remember is no one has the answers for us. It's so important that we find them ourselves. Even if we, you know, fall on our face a couple of times, even if there's jobs we hate, even if there are dead ends, like eventually it reveals itself. Mm-hmm. And so that happened. And I remember, you know, my first client, Roxanne, I was on a radio show and her boyfriend heard me and he set up a session for her and I had like my notebook and like I was very serious and I didn't know what to do. I'm like, do I go with a more therapy approach where I take notes or do I be more like Mona? Like I had no idea what to do. But I just really started to trust myself and I just really focused on listening to people. That was one thing Mona coached me on. Just like, just listen. Just really, really, really listen deeply. And and then I got more training. I got trained as a life coach. I got my spiritual psychology degree. I have another one in consciousness, health and healing, NLP, hypnosis, and 
also started to develop my own intuition and all that kind of stuff. So to answer your question, the coaching part was not planned. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Even the other things I do, speaking, not planned at all. I wrote these books for 20-somethings and people said you should start speaking at college campuses. I heard that over and over and over again. And so I contacted the college speaking bureau and they were like, yes. And then same thing. All, everything that I do now was not planned. Yeah. Well, it doesn't surprise me that this was in demand. I um, when it, So just kind of going back to focusing on the 20-somethings, uh, the quarter-life crisis is real. Yeah. I recently saw... Um, a study by LinkedIn, um, and we actually wrote about it on Career Contessa, and they said that 75% of people ages 25 to 33 experience a quarter-life crisis, and that yeah. 44% reported just feeling stuck in a rut. Yeah. They just they So it's like, I think there's a difference feeling stuck, but understanding like, I'm stuck because this relationship is bad, so yeah. I need to change that. Um, but when you're just stuck in a rut and you can't figure out what it is that would make you... I don't even know if we should be chasing happiness, but what mm-hmm. would make you happier? That is very, very frustrating. Yeah. So it's not surprising that there was a demand for this, yeah. um, especially if people were seeing results. Yeah, and I think that there's so much pressure to figure out our life by 30 or whatever age we put on, whatever number we put on it. And life is a continual figuring it out process. And um, you know, as as I've gotten older and talked to more people, it's it's normal in our 20s not to have it all figured out. Our brain doesn't even fully develop until 25. Mm-hmm. So uh, how, how are we supposed to know everything? And I think now more than ever, life doesn't follow a formula. We want more from life than graduate, get a job, have 2.5 kids, like whatever. Like and there's so many more opportunities and, and people and pivoting is so much more common and kind of expected and not judged you know people have different career tracks and so I think it's that's all important to keep in mind is that the old formula doesn't work how do you stop yourself from getting stuck in that comparison trap though because I agree I think we all have a lot of very high expectations on ourselves Mm -hmm. and sometimes the worst part is that when we have those high expectations, we meet, it, it drives us, right, right. To, to do more. But I also think we live in a world where it's so easy to compare, which is probably why it's hard to enjoy the moment when you have it. How do you get out of that trap? I know this is probably something you talk a lot about on yeah. your show. Yeah, well, the first thing is... Um, <laughs> get off Instagram. Yeah, right. Like, that's like, no one's going to do that. <laughs> um, and, and people know this, but it's really important, just as a reminder, is Instagram is everybody's highlight reel. Like you're not seeing the behind the scenes stuff. Even when people do their vulnerable shares, it's been edited. They've thought about it. You know what I mean? Like it's not, we don't know completely what's really going on with people. So that's that's number one. Number two is we all have our soul curriculum. We all are on our life journey. Like you can't screw up your destiny. You can't. Your free will and choices may impact the timing or the exact way it looks, but whatever you're supposed to experience in life, you're going to, I, I promise, like it's gonna happen. And time is irrelevant anyway. So whether it happens at 27 or 37, it really doesn't, it doesn't matter. So that's the other thing to keep in mind is that when we compare ourselves to others, it's it's like comparing apples to a xylophone. It, they're like, it, it makes zero sense because what I'm supposed to learn in my life is different than what you're supposed to learn in your life. So we're going to, by necessity, we have to go through different experiences. We just have to. And the final thing is, the thing about comparison and any kind of jealousy or anyone that we look up to is maybe you've heard a projection like what bu- bugs us in someone else is revealing to us an aspect of ourselves we don't want to look at. That's one of the, ne- the ways of projection. Positive projection, you spot it, you got it, is comparison. So anything that you see in someone else is an unowned, unrecognized quality inside of you. So let's say you're scrolling through Instagram and somebody just posts about their big job promotion and all of a sudden you start feeling like a piece of shit because you don't, whatever, you just got fired or you're still an assistant or whatever it may be. And and so then you go into, energetically you go into one, self-loathing, criticism, and from like a universal perspective, your energy goes into scarcity. So instead of being in an abundant mindset and attracting more to yourself in your life, you automatically contract and go into a scarcity mindset because you're jealous and you're comparing. Because whenever we're jealous in comparison, we're comparing, we're buying into the misunderstanding that, oh, there's only so much promotion and success 
or whatever. And since that person has it, there's less for me. And that must mean that I'm not enough in some way. So that's that's part of it, knowing that you're in the scarcity mentality. And then in terms of the projection, you spot it, you got it. Anything you see in someone else, you have inside of you, like I was saying. So your friend that got promoted, maybe what you're not seeing in yourself is the success you have had, your intelligence, things you have accomplished. You're not owning what would make you successful. And so anytime I can prepare or I'm jealous of anybody, I, I look at it and I go, okay, what is this person reflecting to me that I'm not seeing inside myself? And boom, you shift out of comparison. And when you do that, is it like, should you be writing that down? So you have, yeah, like, what's I, the best exercise to do with that? I like to, the exercise I like to do is, um, let's say the person, well, Jill's sitting right here. So let's say <laughs> it's Jill. And I'm like, dear Jill, and I don't send her this letter, obviously. Okay. Um, when I look at you, I see, Mona taught me this. When I look at you, I see, when I look at you, I feel you create, you are like. And then you just write all that down and then you flip it on yourself. Mm-hmm. So when I look at myself, I see. And you just do the whole thing. So even if you have a bully at work, you could do this exercise. Yes. Well, the bully at work, um, so that wouldn't be necessarily be a positive projection. That'd be more a negative projection. Mm-hmm. But the bully at work, I bet, would be mirroring your own inner critic. Ugh. The bully at work is showing you what you're like on the inside to yourself. And that's why they're bullying you? Yep. (laughs) Yep. Yep. We attract bullies when um, we are really mean to ourselves on the inside that and and also um, so there's two there's two ways projection and attracting people for lessons works. One is the projection like they're mirroring something about ourselves either the way we are internally or the way we are to others in some way. like the like the classic the the kid that the bully at school is being beaten at home, mm-hmm. or that person like for me, if in the workplace I was bullied, it would I would have attracted that in my life because I have it in my past and I haven't healed it. So we keep attracting circumstances in our life that are quote unquote negative. We'll call them challenging. That actually are from something in our past that we haven't healed. So if there is a bully or someone you're having a challenging relationship with, it's either showing you something inside of you or it's reminding you of something from your past. And how do you work past that? So I know on your podcast, by the way, that you, um, just so you guys know, Christine has an amazing podcast and you can actually call in and she'll <laughs> uh, work with you through a challenge, we'll call mm-hmm. it that, which is really fantastic. And um, so anyone has that resource available to them. But I, I, I'm curious, maybe you can give us some tips, uh, maybe like some examples from your own podcast work that you've done. But like, what are some tips? Because I would imagine with the past, like healing the past or, you know, if it's something you were saying, like with the bully, if you were bullied mm-hmm. in your past and you had never dealt with it, that's mm-hmm. maybe why you have. Because bullying in the workplace and toxic workplaces is, I would say, in the top three complaints that we hear at career Mm -hmm, contessa mm -hmm. and um those you know obviously it's hard to just write an article it's like here's the thing you should do because there's there's so many there's so much more than just like a general piece of advice that's very true so what are some action items people can do when they start to realize okay some of this actually might be from my past yeah well there's a couple things first of all sometimes in a situation like that it may not necessarily be from our past but we may have an issue with speaking our truth and having boundaries so we might not have been bullied in the past but we might be a bit of a people pleaser we might um, have a hard time saying no setting boundaries speaking up for ourselves those kinds of things so the bully is 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 giving us an opportunity to speak up to report it to not tolerate that kind of behavior or to leave. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of times we stay in situations um, that we shouldn't stay in. You know, there's no, I'm not saying, okay, just give up a good job because there's a bully, but how do you know there's not a better job? Right. Like if it's not shifting, if you report it, if you communicate, if you set boundaries and it's still not shifting, then get the heck out of there. I also find, and I don't, I don't have like a statistic in front of me to prove this, but that women struggle more with setting boundaries than men do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, or at least they vocalize the fact that, uh, you know, setting boundaries is really challenging for them. Well, women have a harder time with other people being upset with them. Yes. So the, <laughs> the main reason women don't set boundaries is not because we don't know how, but, but, but we're more afraid of a reaction. We don't like it when people get upset. We don't like it when people yell at us. We don't like pe- when people 
are like upset, like I said, in, in any kind of way. So when people ask me, how do I set boundaries? The question they're really asking is, how do I set boundaries? And everybody just agrees with me. And you know, it's I when we set boundaries, it's not like I can go, okay, Lauren, so I'm gonna set this boundary with you. We, you know, you call me every day. It's, it's just too much. We need to get to once a week. Like it's a little too much. You're not gonna be like, Christine, okay, I totally respect that. Thank you so much for bringing this to my attention. You'd be hurt probably. You'd be like, what do you mean? You don't like me? And so that's what we're most afraid of is the other person's reaction. And boundaries are a very self-honoring choice that a lot of women confuse with being selfish. Not selfish. Yes. Self-honoring. Mm-hmm. So there's a way to set boundaries in a truthful way. You don't have to rip the other person to shreds. You don't have to be a bitch. You don't have to be mean. However, you got to be honest and truthful about like, this is a no and this isn't working for me and here's the line. And if like you don't respect that, then whatever it may be. And I think it's important as women that we're, as people in general, but especially as women who we tend to be more pleasers, is to be firm in that. And even if it's a boss, even if it's a superior, that doesn't grant... I say the same thing with families like people that are your boss or superior people that you're related to don't get a permission slip to treat you like crap like sorry right but no although that seems to be how it goes usually yeah but if we keep tolerating it it won't change Mm -hmm. you know well and I think I do think women are not just women all people are probably learning that like you don't have to tolerate that you know Mm -hmm. and I mean the me too movement was a I think a really excellent example of like that might be the way it's been but that is not the way it's gonna be right well and there's also how it lands so I have someone in my life who's a bit of a bully and is unavoidable because of where they fit into my life and what I've since I can't get them completely out of my life and they don't respect boundaries at all I just really manage my time and when this person says or does something that I'm just like wow did you really just say that I just don't take it in I don't let it affect me. I don't take it personally. It reminds me of that old thing we used to say when we were little, like, I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. That's a re- that's actually really good advice. And so if we can't change it, if we can't extricate ourselves from the situation, then we have to be like, that's just a really hurt person trying to hurt people. And I'm just going to like go throughout my day because there's enough good at this job that I can ignore that one person and not let it get under my skin but you truly have to not let it get under your skin you can't just pretend not to be affected (laughs) I think to get to that place in life sort Mm -hmm. of this person who is consistently having a very logical thought process around that you're making it sound much easier than I'm sure it really is well the more you the more you get to know yourself and the more like self-awareness you have and the more work you do to clean up I, I and I say this believe me like this is not me just sane feel goody life coachy things I the person I am today and the way I feel and the way I live my life is so different like I'm still the same at my core but what used to upset me the things I used to attract in my life what used to trigger me my reactions to things just my daily mood is so vastly different and it's because I've done a lot of the work I've gone back and healed a lot of the old things we reframed a lot of those old stories and have learned about psychology and people in general and communication and have set boundaries and I went through a lot of boundary setting where relationships with people were really rough for a while Mm -hmm. but now they're much better and I'd rather go through a rough patch with someone for the sake of the relationship long term than just suck it up and be a people pleaser and have no boundaries and end up resenting them I 100% agree you're not the resenting them is also just the tip of the iceberg yeah. there's a lot more emotions to come yeah, with that totally um how does the average person so let's say someone's listening to this podcast mm-hmm. and they say yes yes it's me I totally want to do that what can I start doing today um to be more that type of person where I don't let something react or yeah. like you know I don't react to it. I'm not suppressing my emotions yeah like, what's like very actionable things they could do well, I mean, the biggest thing, the biggest reason we're reactive is because we have unprocessed, unhealed stuff and we have belief systems that are very limiting and very outdated. And so the things in our life that are difficult, like I was saying, they're they're just trying to get our attention. <laughs> they're, they're wake-up calls. Like my meltdown in my 20s was a massive wake-up call to really start the first layer of of working on myself in my life. I mean, I've had 
other expectation hangovers since then. But the more work that I do, the less I spend suffering in any kind of expectation hangover or challenging time and the more space there is in between them. So in terms of what could someone do, I mean, I got my first coach when I was 23. Mm-hmm. I would work with somebody. You know, I, I do believe we have all the answers inside, but a lot of times we need someone to help us go in there with a flashlight <laughs> and illuminate some of the blind spots and show us. So that would be one thing. Um, any kind of it's, – it's, I always find that when you ask the universe for help, it's that saying, when the student is ready, the teacher appears – Ask the universe, start, you know, start putting it out there. Like I'm, I'm ready to grow. I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to change some things about myself. Not from the place of I'm wrong. And that, that takes me to a good tangent. Please don't approach personal development from the place of I'm broken. I'm messed up. I need to be I need fixed. to fix myself. And once I fix myself, then I'm going to get the guy and then I'm going to get the relationship and then I'm going to get the money or whatever it is. Because I see a lot of people, their motivation for working on themselves is they want something. They want the career, they want the relationship, they want the baby, they want whatever they want. And and so let all that go and do it just because like as a human, it's your job <laughs> to evolve. Really, I truly believe that the more people that wake up, the the more we have a chance of really changing the way the world works. So put it out there, put it out there. See what books resonate with you. You know, I, I have my books. I have an online course called Over It and On With It. I have the podcast you can listen to. Like, I, I may be a good place to start, and then you'll find other places from, since then. But just be curious. Just be a student. And don't approach it from, you know, I'm just going to find one thing. I'm going to fix everything about myself, and then it's all going to be okay. Right. Just make that commitment It's going to take more than one thing. Yeah, it's going to take – because it's, it's again, it's growth. It's a, it's a process, not an event. And also, you can just start by talking positively to yourself. Say something yeah, nice. Yeah, say something nice. Compassion. Compassion. Sometimes positivity is hard to get to because it feels like such a stretch. You know, it's hard to go from, oh, my God, I'm so stupid. Why did I just say that to I'm brilliant and amazing and everybody loves what I say. So you could go from I'm stupid. Why did I say that to, you know what, I did the best I could. Mm-hmm. I had a therapist once where I was supposed to come up with three affirmations and I was supposed uh. to say them every day to myself I think I lasted a week <laughs> before I forgot to say them um but I that was easy she was like look you and the other rule she had was I was allowed to harp on something for five minutes and then yeah. I had to let it go yeah that was one thing I did with my breakup with the fiance um I give myself 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes at night to cry and be upset and like look at pictures and smell his clothes and do pathetic <laughs> things like that eventually that wore off and I was like get these clothes out of here um <laughs> And, and also with affirmations, writing them on a mirror is a good thing to do. The other thing that I, I find very helpful, our own voice is very hypnotic. Um, so you have to get over any judgment of you don't like hearing your voice. Uh, one of my favorite things to do that I tell my clients to do is just record a voice memo of like something nice to yourself, like a little love note to yourself. Write it out and then record it on your phone. And just listen to it multiple times a day because you're pro- we're always programming our mind with our own voice. So if you can have a voice note that's your own voice – saying really positive true things because honestly for everybody listening like the good stuff's more true anyway the positive stuff is true all the criticism and all the negative things you believe and say about yourself are so not true and what i think so important about this is that you your success and you know whether that's career success or you know financial success however you define success you're going to actually really truly enjoy that yep. because you are going to have it on the inside and the outside exactly um Exactly. I feel more, even though like my Hollywood agent private jet Oscar days was glamorous, was glamorous and may seem successful. I feel way more successful now, way more like because it's fulfilling and I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and I feel like it's authentic and I'm living what I'm passionate about and what I'm teaching and that feels so much better than the, the bright shiny object kind of career path that I went down before. Yeah, I would completely agree. I think um, striving for fulfillment is not something you hear people say very mm-hmm. often. They're striving for the house, the the you know fancy car, the vacations, the shiny, basically the shiny object yeah. that we're talking about. But um, fulfillment needs to be a word that is in people's vocabulary a lot more. Yeah, and I think we have options too. We have got to take the timeline pressure off ourselves. Like I, after I got... Um, after my fiance and I broke up, I met a man that I married about four months later. And then about four years later, we got divorced because we just were headed in different, great man, just headed in some different directions and our values were a little different. And I also think we kind of jumped into it a little too fast. 
But after that, I ended up freezing my eggs because I thought, you know what? Like I just, I need to take all these timeline pressures off myself. And I give that example, not that I'm, you know, an advocate for freezing your eggs, but we live in a time where this, this timeline pressure, we can like, we can let that go. We're living longer, our fertility's last, even... Even um, I just saw a recent stu- like a study a year or two ago that came out that said the whole 35 year fertility declines isn't as true as people thought it was anymore. So I just put that out there because I know women and I know women listening, this like timeline and this pressure and this by 30 and this by 35 and this by this age, like let all of that go and really focus more on whatever's for my highest good. I want that. Mm-hmm. I want that because honestly, like, I think back to if I had stayed in that marriage and because a lot of people were like, oh, just have a baby. That'll bring you closer. That's not good yeah, advice. Yeah, we know how well that works. That's not good advice. <laughs> um, and and had a baby. And, and I think being a mother and being married is a wonderful thing for my soul journey and what I was supposed to learn and what has been truly, truly fulfilling for me was different than that. And so a lot of times what we think we want and what is truly our destiny can be two different things, but you have to be willing to let go of the checklist. A lot of, I know the women listening are successful, smart women. The thing about successful, smart women is sometimes we can be very controlling and not necessarily of other people, but of just the way we manage our life and we can get tunnel visioned on our checklist and the way things are supposed to be. And if you're too tunnel visioned on all of that, you might miss out on an amazing opportunity the universe is trying to give you. So let go. Like it's very important that we, I like to say proactively surrender. Like just let things go, take steps towards things, but hold on to, uh, let go of any attachment to them needing to work out in a certain way. Because I can tell you there have been so many things in my life that I had to let go of either by choice or force. (laughs) And now I see why it didn't work out the way I thought I wanted it to. Right. And so letting go of that control and being willing to be surprised is, I think, an essential part to getting what we truly want, mm-hmm. truly want. Yeah, and I, these are behavior changes, mm-hmm. you know? This is something that you're not going to have overnight. I mean, it's exactly. something that if you work every day to get that promotion, you have to do the same thing mm-hmm. with the inside parts. So yeah. I think that's really important, and I, and I, I understand what you're why people don't because the motivation weans right like I'm really motivated to do all these things maybe after listening to this podcast but how can you be motivated to stick with it well I have a little I have a practice that would be good too I actually have a journal for this um that goes along with some that has some meditations with it too but it's my stop start change plan and it's a great way to make incremental incremental changes that last. And what you do is you pick one thing you want to stop doing, one thing you want to start doing, and one thing you want to change. So one thing you want to start doing, it could be every morning, meditate for five minutes, two minutes, just something. Do something for yourself before you check your phone. Like that could be a good start. A stop could be, you know, stop looking at Instagram late at night, you know, Stop, you know, one of the things that I had to do at one point in my life where I was going through major comparison, like just, oh, I was comparing myself to everybody, especially professionally, is I just stopped scrolling. I just stopped A lot scrolling. of people talk about when they do that, the, um, so I have a couple friends who have even just like completely gotten off mm-hmm. Instagram and they're like, it is a night and day difference. Yeah. And at first, yeah, the first few weeks is like weird just because you're so... It's you're, habitual. Yeah, you're, you're, you're a robot where yeah. you're just grabbing it and you don't even know why. You've already looked at this stuff and yeah. They, so. Yeah. So you just stop scrolling for a bit. And then one thing to change, you know, maybe you are having too much wine during the week. Like a lot of us use alcohol or TV or food or something like that as, as numbing devices, as coping strategies. And, and you know, when we when we feel stuck in any way and we throw in alcohol or a depressant, it just makes it harder. So maybe your change is instead of 10 glasses a week, it's four or mm-hmm. something like that. Anyway, you do this for 40 days because it takes 40 days for something to turn into from a discipline to a habit. And if you really... Um, stick to it for 40 days, you'll see that it becomes more habitual, like brushing your teeth. And then you start a new 40-day plan. And so if you do little things like that, even like your affirmations could be a great one, like for 40 days, every day, say the affirmation. And so that's just an example of like a little tool that you can do to start creating lasting change. Yeah, I love that. 
I absolutely love that. All right, I want to uh, make a, a little bit of a turn. Sure. Uh, to your latest book, which yes. is called Expectation Hangover. Um, tell us about it. I mean, this mm-hmm. is your third book, mm-hmm. and so I'm assuming that this this was. I, I'm assuming people wanted you to talk about this. You you talked about expectation hangovers before. Too. Yes, but I now did. Now you've written an entire book about it. Yeah, I did. Um, so the main reason I wrote that is because I found that again I like to look for places like the when the book I need isn't on the shelves, I write it. And I found that there was this kind of trend with the personal growth industry that was, and I love the personal growth industry. I'm part of it. It helps a lot of people. But there's a bit of a quick fix sales approach to it. Like, just do this thing. Just do this mantra. Just <laughs> Always. do this. Seven do this. days to yes. happiness. Yes. yes. Seven keys to overcoming any obstacle or whatever it may be. And by the time I wrote Expectation Hangover, I've been coaching people for 10 years. And I'm like, there is no quick fix. And you can't just do one thing. It has to be emotional, mental, behavioral, and spiritual. We are multidimensional beings and we need to cover all of them. And the other thing I realized is that every, so let me define an expectation hangover. It's when things don't turn out like you planned or things do turn out you plan, like you planned but you don't feel like you thought you would. Like I had my big Hollywood job but I didn't feel the happiness. Or life just throws you an unexpected curveball like getting dumped, getting laid off, being diagnosed with an illness, whatever. And most of us just want that disappointment to be over just like we want a hangover to be over and we don't leverage it we don't know how to go in and go how is this happening for me how do I connect this to things that have happened in my past and heal it so it doesn't have to keep happening again because I was having you know there's I know that part of the reason that I had to go through the experience of for example being broken up with before my wedding is because I had so many like wounds around rejection So of course it was going to keep happening until I went back and healed it and realized that like I I was worth something (laughs) because I just kept attracting it. So I wanted wanted to give people a formula and a system for really healing disappointment. I hate that saying time heals all wounds because I don't want to wait for time. Like you don't want to wait 20 years to heal a wound or five years. (laughs) Nobody wants to hear that. (laughs) I know. So it's like how about we be a little bit more proactive and get a formula for that. And so in the book, I teach people how to process emotions in a healthy way, how to release them, not recycle them. Then we go through reframing thoughts and rewiring your brain, changing behavior, really understanding that only 3 to 5% of our behavior is consciously driven. So that means about 95% of our behavior is unconsciously driven. And unconscious means the things, all the experiences we've experienced that get stored in the memory bank of our mind that aren't necessarily conscious. Mm-hmm. But so that's a big part of it. And then the spiritual part, like we're all spiritual beings having a human experience. Not necessarily, you know, not everybody may have a affiliation with a religion or believe in, you know, a certain God. But I, I come from the, um, the viewpoint that there is something bigger. Yeah. There is a higher power. Call it whatever you want, but there's there's something. I really liked how you talked about the the soul curriculum. Yeah, mostly because I do think people really like trainings. You know, yeah. they they can get behind what you're saying, but then they're like, all right, what's next? And so they want the training. They want the mm-hmm. curriculum that's going to guide them through this. And as you said, like our education system is not set um. up. Our and our family systems aren't always set up the way. Uh, hopefully, they will going forward. But um, you know, if you're in a family that is you know, sharing emotion or expressing emotion is not welcomed or you're told like, hey, just toughen up yeah. or whatever it is. And I'm sure every there are people who are relating to this, then um, your soul curriculum didn't, it, it wasn't there. Right. Exactly. And so you have to create it. Exactly. Um, if you could rename Meltdown, what would you call it? Oh, um, I'd say doorway like to, or threshold. Like it's always like, Whenever there's a meltdown, I find it always is a breakthrough, an opening to something different. I wouldn't call it a breakthrough right away because you don't have a breakthrough right when you have a meltdown. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, we always get to hear about the great comeback stories. Right. But the problem is, is that those comeback stories are usually, you know, years later. Yeah. But the way we process or the way the media always shows it, it's like the before and after. Yeah. Right. We're so obsessed with this. What about the middle? <laughs> yeah. The the and. You know, even to get to the before and after, as you mentioned, like you can get to the after and not necessarily enjoy it because, you know, you didn't 
have all the parts that were important for that yeah process to actually happen and um so I, I really love that you're calling it a doorway and I I also think that um as we were talking about this like it sounds like most of the times in your life where it wasn't just a bad day it was like okay this is something I need to look into yes ultimately led you to a better absolutely well thank you christine so much for coming on the show and sharing some great tips with us um can you let the uh, listeners know where they can connect with you sure so if you're interested in the podcast just look for my name or over it and on with it every wednesday is a live life coaching episode um and those are the numbered episodes and then every saturday is what i have i call coach's corner where i either interview another expert or i just come on and talk about something And then if you go to christinehassler.com, that's where you can find everything about my events, the retreat, also my course, the personal mastery course. That's, um, it's, it's expectation hangover on crack. It's like, (laughs) it's taking all my best tools and work and the things I do with private clients because I don't work privately with many people anymore. That's all at christinehassler.com and um, Jill, who's with me here, who's been in my life and read my first book um, nine years ago or eight and a half years ago and tracked me down and was like, I have to know you. I have to work with you. And I'm like, who are you? Um, She's just been such a gift in my life and my business. So you can also contact her, Jill, at christinehassler.com if you have any questions. Awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. That was Christine Hassler, author and life coach helping all of us overcome our expectation hangovers. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. For more interviews and career advice from incredible women, check out careercontested.com. We also offer other great resources like a curated jobs board, profiles on female supportive companies, and on-demand career courses in our e-learning library. Seriously, we're a one-stop shop for your career success. And if you're looking for some one-on-one advice for your career and life, check out Career Contessa's career coaching service, Hire a Mentor. Each coaching session is personalized to exactly what you need to move your career forward. And we now have over 50 mentors for you to choose from using the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And I'd be so grateful if you could rate us and review us. It's really helpful and valuable to see what you like about the show. Plus, we'll send you all the good karma vibes in return. And don't forget that we're super social over on our Instagram channel, at Career Contessa. And we'd love your help spreading the word about this podcast by mentioning it on your social media channels with hashtag The Females Podcast. You can expect a new episode of The Females Podcast every Tuesday. And you won't want to miss next week's episode featuring Jill Abramson, the first female executive editor of The New York Times, a co-author who wrote about the Anita Hill and Justice Clarence Thomas sexual harassment hearing, and a woman who challenged the bosses when she realized her male predecessor made more money than she did for the same role. A big tactical mistake that I made when I became executive editor and when the job was offered to me is that I never said, and what is my salary going to be? And what was my predecessor paid? It was incredibly stupid of me not to ask. Yeah.